Welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leland McRae. Welcome back to another Yak Sports Podcast, your Augusta County sports. I'm Leland McRae. Joe Deck is with me. And Joe, let's jump into the biggest news that happened in the last week. And it happened uh, over the weekend during the uh, rain-delayed Talladega race that ended up getting moved to Monday, Sunday afternoon, just awfully they found a noose hanging in Bubba Wallace's garage at the pit at Talladega. And just, there is just no, no reason for this. Um, there's no explanation. It's just terrible. I mean, it's just, I think it's one of the most sickening symbols that you can, you can leave because of its obvious racial indication, um, racist indication. And then also, you know, signifying murder, you know, that that's, that's how people were killed. Uh, um, black people were killed, um, you know, by the noose. So I just, I absolutely was disgusted when I saw that jaw kind of dropped when I read it on Twitter, might've been an ESPN alert when I saw that. Um, I know you'll have a lot to say with it. I think there's been a lot of great reaction from it but I think it's a lot of reaction we could have lived without. I think NASCAR was already putting in a lot of good moves and right decisions and solidarity was there. I, as good as it is to see the additional level of solidarity pre-race and, and all that, man, I, I would have liked not to have had to see it because, um, I mean, it's just a terrible motivation for, uh, for to cause this reaction and, and it's just just awful no excuse no nothing just terrible yeah uh there's no other way to paint this other than a racist action by somebody who is trying to yep. intimidate bubba wallace and let's get to the point of it it's because bubba wallace is seen as the person who got NASCAR to change their mind on the Confederate flag and banning the Confederate flag at events. And so this next message is going to be to people who continue to ignorantly propose the idea that the Confederate flag is not a symbol of hate and it is a symbol of heritage. Um, It was created to represent a country that fought a war to keep people of color as second-class citizens at best and subhuman uh, would be another way to put it. Against America. Yes, and they fought against America. So I'm sorry, your heritage that you're promoting is hatred. There is no other way to look at it. If you want to look at it another way, you can, but you're wrong. You're loud wrong, and at best, you are ignorant. At worst, you are a racist. And there is no other way to paint that And if that hurts your feelings and you don't want to listen to this podcast, so be it. I don't have time to continue to argue in the year 2020 with people who are too stupid to understand this. There is just no time to talk to you. You need to go sit at the kids' table while the grownups have discussions on how better to advance this country for everyone and not just people who are white. And it is offensive that that NASCAR leading up to the race before this was even discovered, had people flying the Confederate flag in a caravan or flying over the track with a Confederate flag on a crop duster that says defund NASCAR. It's 
mind-numbingly stupid, uh, the people that cling to this symbol, and whether that symbol to you means hatred or not, let's talk about the other, the other elephant in the room here, okay? That Confederate flag is used by the Ku Klux Klan. It is. They're not doing it as a symbol of Southern pride. That's not an organization that is uh, great with human rights and equality. Their message is the opposite of equality and human rights. Their message is disgusting. And unlike with the swastika, which has been adopted by, was adopted by the Nazis, and also, by the way, used by the Ku Klux Klan now, that predates Nazi Germany. But we don't see swastikas going around in terms of Norse history. You know why? Because they're smarter than we are. Because they know that that symbol got hijacked by the Nazi party in Germany, and it was used for hatred, and now that it's become a symbol of hate, and they don't go waving it around or promoting it, like some people here in America try to do. And again, that's why I come back to the point, if you think the Confederate flag is some great symbol, at best you're ignorant, and at worst you're a racist. There's no other way to look at it. But now's the time to wake up. In the, in the least, at least nicest, softest term, if, if up to this point you think about it a certain way, it doesn't, you know, you really don't feel the hate in your heart it's you can't get past now you can't get past these this last time period not even the last few weeks these last years where it's been obvious that it's been stated very clearly that a large group of people are put down by that symbol so it's time to either uh, i don't know i don't really want to encourage adopting a new symbol but just move on from from this flag and move on from such acts to scare people this news thing that started the conversation is very obvious. You know, there's no ifs ifs about this. There's no well, the noose means heritage to me. I know, you know, like that's 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 not a thing. So that's very obvious. But on the heels of the Confederate flag being banned at NASCAR events, they're tied together right here, and like, and this isn't hard for everybody to grasp. They already knew these two symbol, you know, these two things would represent a similar thing. So if today's the day for you to realize, man, it isn't that great, then fine. You know, like, I, I, I'm not trying to give people passes. I'm not in the charge of, that, of the passing. But now's your opportunity to realize what, what it means and how to move on from it. Um, it's, just, it's just that simple. There's no, there's, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a play on words or a play on, it's black and white. It's simple. It's just simple. There's no gray here. This is all tied together, and this coming as a reaction to the kind of, this shows the linear relationship between those two, two things, what they mean and what they're indicating. Yes, and, and again, like, we live in Virginia. The Civil War is a major part of Virginia history. A lot of the Civil War was fought in Virginia. In fact, it's probably hard, especially in this part of Virginia, to go walking outside to not be on a battlefield somewhere at some point in history during that time period. So yeah. wanting to learn about the Civil War or valuing the historical significance of the Civil War is not a crime. It's not a sin. That's fine. No. But yeah. these things belong in history books, in museums, not on your shirt and not waving a Confederate flag around like some kind of idiot. And, and I'm sorry, but that's what you are when you do that. It's, it what, it's what comes across to me as okay, that person is just not engaging in an adult conversation. They don't want to be a part of it. 
Uh, and the way I know is if there's people who think I'm not racist, but I like the Confederate flag. Well, let me ask you, do you, if you have people, you know, that are black, would you, would you wave the Confederate flag when they're around? Would you wear a shirt with the Confederate flag on in front of them? I don't think you would. And if you do, uh, you're a terrible person, but I don't think you would. And I think, you know, why. And, it, and it's, and, and it were to a point where like, in the least, if you have any conscience at all, you would feel like you'd have to explain yourself. Well, well, why, why are we dealing with explaining yourself? Just don't don't show it that way. Find I you know I've had this debate um, I've had this debate recently uh, with my sister. I, just straightforward. I understand a level of Southern pride. Being from the South, I understand pride in the South because I think a lot of times the South gets labeled as dumb or slower or um you know just not not as quick uh not as mentally well uh and i understand having pride in the success of things in the south business in the south um you know community in the south the south is is different in a lot of ways and there's a lot of ways that are very good i ha- i understand southern heritage but anything to do with the civil war and everything i i don't I don't join in on that. I don't understand that. So just because I understand like I understand a level of Southern pride, but I I've never waved a Confederate flag around to show that. I just, you know, I appreciate where I'm from. I appreciate the historical value of everything around me. I understand everything I've learned about the Civil War and the importance. And I, I'm not saying the museum's gotta leave, but you know, riding down the road and having this flag flying off the back of your truck, not necessary. And much more so when it's just very obvious what that symbol means to a group of people that have no, you know, there's no reason to make another group of people feel bad for no reason. And what are you going to stop and explain it? You know, pull over the truck and say, hey, this is heritage, not racist. Like, come on, just stop doing it. Well, and again, I mean, I guess we're to the to the people and this is going to go again, history to the people who are sitting here and saying the Civil War wasn't fought over slavery. It was fought over state right. You're half right. It was fought over states' rights. The state right to allow slavery. Uh, that yeah. that was the with state it, right they fought over. And if you don't think with, that, read a book. And if you can't read, there's no civil if you war can't read, get an audio book and have somebody else read it to you. Because obviously, there's, there's no, you're missing a core concept here. Yeah, very much so. Um, so I know a little off sports here, but NASCAR fully taking this on, and I think NASCAR's reacted well. Uh, throughout this and i think some people are asking well why does nascar feel like they I, nascar this had the most prevalent lines drawn i mean it was very obvious there's only one black racer in the in the league right now and um there's been minimal over the time period and look at an, any other sport we're, we're seeing more than that i know hockey is is minimal mm-hmm. they they still there, you know, there's still effort. There's still efforts being made in the NHL at the same time right now. It's just the NASCAR is really blowing up. And when you went to races, that Confederate flag was very, very prevalent. And you know, when I went to a race whew, 15 years ago, I, I probably didn't think twice about it. I probably stayed at a camper right beside a camper that was flying that flag. But the t- you know, times change. But it's and, it's not people- meant to intimidate people like you and me, though. Oh, I know, I know. And yeah, I I was in a very light crowd. to say the least, you know, so I I understand that, but honestly, it's not made to intimidate me. But when I see it for the last, I mean, it's been years now when I see it, it bothers me. When I see that truck going down the road, it bothers me that, that man, 
someone's going to be felt feel like this is not their home because they see this and they have every right to have this be their home as well. You know, Augusta County is a great place. Rockingham County is a great place. This whole valley, just everywhere is, is just a great place to live. And it just doesn't need to have that. And so NASCAR in the same way wants to separate themselves from that. And coming back to NASCAR the way they reacted pre-race with all the drivers supporting Bubba and going down pit lane and all that, I thought it was handled very well. And uh, it was a good visual to kind of show in the face of the, the terrible act that took place Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I got to see a clip of that. And I, I finally found a clip of Mike Joy uh, oh, and his so announcement good. as that was going yeah. on. And man, you could hear it. He was holding it together by a thread, and I'm hats off to him for being able to do it. It, it was very touching. the The scene was very touching to see that. Yeah, I haven't seen Mike. every team out there to celebrate one driver or support one driver. Support, support, yeah, support one driver. Other than one other time in my life, and that was when Dale Earnhardt finally won a Daytona 500. Every team member lined yeah. up and high fived him as he drove by. This and is this obviously is a bigger deal. This is a more yeah, yeah. This is this is about human rights uh, and inequality. And yeah, it, it was a beautiful scene. Like you said, it's a little sad that we're in a time and place where we have to have these. Because yeah, yeah. because we're still fighting ignorance and racism in this country. And yeah. and again, um, to the people who still think this is a heritage, not hate thing, uh, why do you think they put the noose up? Because it just happened to be a coincidence? Uh, or do you think it has to do with the Confederate flag being banned and now they're going to put up a noose, which, by the way, has the same connotations as the Confederate flag to people of color in this country? And, and I know you said that it makes you uncomfortable when you see people driving around with the Confederate flag on the back of their truck or whatever. I'll just, I think of less, I think less of that person immediately, oh, yeah. Yeah. immediately. Yeah. And with, and it, yeah. especially if it's somebody I've never seen or don't know at all. And it's just like a tr stranger driving in a truck. I automatically think that person is the, one of the dumbest people in Augusta County or wherever yep. I am that I see it. Uh, the side note of what we just said, and you touched on it, Mike Joy, and this is just, just, just making a point, Mike Joy from NASCAR coverage on Fox, he is a pro a pro. He's underrated. Um, you know, when we make these lists uh, that I don't think we've done yet, but of great announcers, he's got to be mentioned because mm -hmm. he's always good. And there's, there's these moments of uh, uncertainty in NASCAR. We saw it at Daytona where, you know, you don't know how a driver is doing in a car that was just on fire going for, you know, a half a mile. Um, he handles these situations great every time. And I think um, you take you take announcers. I mean, you're, you're, you're calling a sport that deals with life and death. And he handles it so well each and every time it's presented to him. And then just like you said today, with this civil rights um, reaction to something terrible, he just had the perfect words, perfect way. And I think hearing that emotion is part of it. I mean, I think I think when you think about your best announcers, I think you come to that with a lot of them. There's a time where they had emotion and um, or held back the emotion and then they do it. This guy's a great announcer. I know this. I mean, it's minor in the conversation we were just having. I just I just wanted to mention that that he's going to get a lot of play this week about how well he handled it. He deserves every minute of attention for that. And before we get off this topic, uh, you have it here on the notes and I've seen this 
floating around social media too. Oh God. The, oh, the God. theorizing oh, that God. this is fake or a staged incident. Um, I would say until that has been proven, that is the dumbest take you could have. I, it's not I even think, a I think it is thinking. far less likely that this is fake or a staged event than somebody that is upset about the Confederate flag being taken away from them at, at a track during a NASCAR race. I, I think that is, yeah. it's sick to see yeah. on social media, but unfortunately yeah. it's not surprising. It, it's so terrible. It's, it's, it's racist. <laughs> I mean, just yes. saying it out loud is racist. It shouldn't be a thought in your head. And, uh, I mean, I would even say until it's like, it's just, it's not, it's not a thing. It's nothing to even consider. So, uh, moving on to the local news and, uh, we'll stay upbeat here for about two stories and then we'll get negative again. Uh, Wilson football, they hired a new head coach, Drew Bugden, a new head football coach. He has most recently been an assistant at Stewart's draft. He is a Wilson grad from back in 06 and he played under, um, Oh, oh my goodness! I'm blanking on our coach that uh, just retired at Waynesboro. Uh, the, um, terrible, Gosh. McDaniel. Yeah, McDaniel. Man, sorry. Coach, he played under Coach McDaniel at Wilson, and so he he know, understands the school. He understands uh, what they, what, you know, the the type of community that he's coming into or coming back to. So that's I think a great thing for Wilson. He played football for Embry and Henry before graduating it from George Mason. He's a defensive minded coach. I, I think there's a lot of positives to say about him, looking at his resume where he's coached at uh, R.E. Lee Springfield, at um, Nelson County, and then at Stewart's Draft. I think, you know, it's a, probably a good fit. He understands Wilson and him being defensive-minded. You know, that's when Wilson was their best, was when their defense was just top-notch, back when they went to some state playoff runs and made it to Salem, uh, finished second in the state one year. So I think uh, I think it's a solid hire. I, I didn't know who he was previously. This wasn't a name I would recklessly have thrown at the job to see who would uh, get it. But uh, everything I see on paper looks like he has potential to step up and do a good job. And uh, so hopefully for Wilson, he can. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I hope he has a season to coach this year. Um, but well, yeah, yeah, assuming that, yeah, I, yeah. I, I hope he steps in and gets things rolling. Um, I do think the biggest challenge ahead of him particularly this year, if they play, is kind of what we've touched on already with other programs. Bring in new systems, new coaches. Um, it, it's going to be hard because you're not going to have that usual period to implement your system and get the kids to learn it. Uh, that's going to be abbreviated, and uh, we how much it's abbreviated is, remains to be seen. But I definitely think um, he's got his work cut out for him there. But as you said, I wish him all the best, and – it it's definitely helps. Team. It definitely helps with somebody that went through that program, though, and knows yeah. knows that area, knows that school, and can connect with that community. Two things: when he played, when he played there, Wilson wasn't running the double wing or, or any version mm-hmm. of that like they had been running recently. So um, we'll see if he goes back to something like that, or if he's picked something else up uh, in his other coaching stops that can work offensively, or who he keeps on his staff to. Uh, to run the offense. If he's a defensive minded coach, we'll see what happens there. But so that, that could be an interesting thing to look at. Uh, but the second thing, um, you know, I think he, he has every chance in the world to, to be good there. 
this year, and it's a two and eight ball club. So improvement or not yeah. getting worse is not an unbelievable feat. You know, this isn't coming behind a state championship team and trying to fill the shoes. This is trying to build back something. And it's something, you know, major was continually working on, but he's moved on. So now his, here's his opportunity to step in, take it in his direction and see if he can make him at least a little bit better initially, and then see where they can go from there. A lot of good athletes come to that school. So I, I would be surprised um, to see them down as bad as they've been uh, two and eight, two and eight's bad. I would I would be surprised if they don't get up to you know playoff playoff area playoff contention here in you know two three years. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Um, uh, they definitely, like you said, uh, expectations will be low coming off a two and eight season, and yep. I, just gives you somewhere to build off of, and that's that's what hopefully he's able to accomplish uh, at Wilson. Harrisonburg also filled their opening uh, with a familiar name. It was Josh. Uh, I think Curacao, I'm not sure how it's, uh, I'm not sure on how that's announced, but he was the assistant coach that stepped up and was the head coach for that playoff game that they fought hard in and nearly won uh, a close loss in that first round playoff game uh, back in November. So he was an eight-year assistant at Harrisburg, I believe played at Bridgewater. So I think that's all the position, all the football positions at least filled. I guess some staffs might need to get sorted out, but um Harrisonburg, I thought, you know, it seemed like that job probably would get filled quickly, especially if it was this name. But, uh, yeah, there's probably been other things to focus on in the last couple of months for Harrisonburg High School. So, all right, VHSL. Um, yeah, I guess we're going negative again. VHSL, we, we asked last week, hey, you got to have some sports-specific information here. we got to know what this means for football and volleyball-specific sports. They did it. VHSL gave us the information we asked for. And all it said was <laughs> things that would make you believe football season's not happening. I think some of these other sports have a chance of happening in the fall, but man, football is on football and wrestling are in the same category for like danger level for contracting the virus. And that's not a good sign, especially when I think about the obviousness that wrestling would give you for uh, the danger of this virus. You know, every, everything that is, being careful about this virus and social distancing and everything is the opposite of what wrestling is. <laughs> and so when football is put into that same group, and I understand the reasons why, because there is body to body contact on every play, there is effort being made with players in close proximity. Uh, everybody's trying to touch the same ball there. Like it's just a lot, not playing in a factor for football. So I appreciate the HSL trying to make it clear. It's still not been canceled. But you can't be surprised when it does get canceled because VHSL has laid out every pathway for them to make it obvious it's the next step. We're going to cancel the season or we're going to greatly affect how this season is played this year or it's at least delayed until we figure it out further. You just can't be surprised at this point. Everything is pointed in that direction. Yeah, it doesn't look right. Um, and, and look, again, it comes down to the safety of the students and the people in the community. I know people really want football. I know you and I really want football, Leland, but I think we both agree here and we've said it before and we'll say it again. If it means putting these kids or these kids' families at risk over something that is just a game. Yep. Okay, you have to you have to put things on hold. And yes, that sucks, but it it's 
it's we, not me. And I think that's lost on some people right now. Uh, but again, that's that's what it's going to take. And if if the VHSL doesn't think it's safe, then we shouldn't have football season. And I think we're not going to get a lot of sports. I think what we're yep. seeing in college football, I think what we're seeing in baseball, I think what we're seeing in NBA, all of them have negative news this week because of, I'm not sure if this is a second wave or what it is, but the numbers are going up. And people in the in these groups for sports, Clemson, 23 football players contracted the virus. Kansas State, they have so many kids with the virus, they're suspending activities for 14 days to, to try to settle everything down. LSU, the quote there is, has a large number in isolation. Like, that's two of, I mean, two of those teams played in the playoff last year. I guess they played against each other in the national championship. So it doesn't get any bigger names than that. And that's just an example. That's two programs out of everybody. And the reason we're seeing those is because that's who, who those are the big names. That's where the number one pick came from. And that's Clemson who's played in a bunch of national championships recently. Every school's dealing with it. A couple weeks ago, we heard Alabama. We've heard about it all over the country. We're going to continue to major league baseball. You got Florida and Arizona train closing the spring training sites where people were starting to work out and everything. Phillies had five guys contract the virus. They closed it all down. And that was kind of the, the lead of, of baseball closing down Florida and Arizona. Apparently there's 40 plus people overall. I wouldn't be surprised that number's more. That's just what we know of right now. NBA, because Florida is spiking and because there's a spike in Orlando where they're trying to go in and have a bubble set up, they're starting to wonder what they're going to do. They have a lot of drama otherwise that has legitimacy, but just focus on the virus they're starting to say, can we even do this? So it's just all falling apart. And it goes hand in hand with what the VHSL is saying. I mean, they're saying, this is, these are what we're trying to protect the kids from. This is what we're trying to do. Every sport at every level, pro all the way down to high school, is saying the same things these last couple of weeks where it's just not, it's just not looking like we're going to get a lot of sports this fall. No. And again, uh, if there's one thing that was proven during this, especially with the college coaches and some of them having the statements they had about there's no way we're not playing college football, just yeah. wishing the virus away is not going to make it go away. Uh, Clemson, uh, Dabo Sweeney was one of the ones I think that was out first saying we're definitely playing college football. Well, you had 23 football players test positive. Um, so you're going to have to be careful with it. And I think... Again, it's the same thing we talked about with high school. Do we want do we want football? Yes. I would love nothing more than for it to be safe to play college football and me to be able to watch it this fall because I love watching college football. I, I love watching high school football. But if it's not safe, if it puts these kids at risk, if it puts these kids' families at risk, then no, we can't play. And again, yes, that sucks. But if you're not thinking about the safety of these individuals and what is already a dangerous sport, it, this is an unneeded risk to add to the equation. And if you're not thinking about that first and foremost, okay, uh, we're having a different conversation then. I, I, we talk so well. I, I, I mean, there's a, it's a danger. There's a continual conversation about yeah. these coaches caring for these kids mm -hmm. and waiver or no waiver. You make these kids sign a waiver or not. These, these guys are supposed to be looking for the well-being of these players within playing the sport that is dangerous already, like you said. 
it doesn't matter if you, they signed a waiver or not. Some, somewhere along the line, someone's got to step up and do what's best for these kids and not just look at how much money football makes in the, on Saturdays in, in America. they got to make sure they're not putting a high number of people, exponential growing number of people in danger for having this sport to have not just the group of these kids at the stadium, but everybody that supports the football team playing. Then are we putting fans in the stand? And then every one of those people I just mentioned going home to their families and mm-hmm. going to, back to elderly people or, or young infants or people that are susceptible or people that have a pre-existing condition. You just, it's just a crazy number. Well, the I worst, mean, the like, worst thing that could happen would be we, we rush back. We play college football yep. and somebody dies. And yep. then, and then a program, a coach, a university, and, and us as a society will have to sit back and go, "Was it worth it?" Yep. To me, the answer is no. So, nope. it, it's already a dangerous game. If they get, I mean, gosh, I, you and I have talked about this off the podcast, so let's put it on the podcast. I am terrified for the day where, not because of a pandemic, but because of physical violence that is football, somebody dies. I am terrified for that day, which is really not a question of if, but a question of when. And Steve Young said it like in 2005. I remember watching SportsCenter, yes. and Steve Young was new to being on SportsCenter. He's like, someone's going to die on the field someday. It, that's so terrifying then, in itself. In head, it's it, it's yeah. terrifying in itself. But to say, well, they didn't die from the sport. They died because we came back in the middle of a pandemic, because we weren't patient, because we weren't smart. That is something that is unforgivable, in my opinion. And uh, look, you talked about the NBA rethinking Florida with the spike there. Nothing would make me happier than to see that that sport or not, excuse me, not that sport, but that state have this taken away from them. Because in my opinion, there is overcautious and there is reckless. That governor has been on the side of reckless and it hasn't even been close to which side he is on. He has been a clown. He has been a buffoon. (laughs) And so for this to potentially cost the state money, love it, love it, love it, love it. Yeah. I, I mean, the problem, the, the negative aspect of that is when, when Orlando gets that taken away from him, it gets taken away from all because there won't be an NBA into the season. And well, I'm sure they're looking at other places. The world's not where it needs to be for us to be feel safe to send my kid to school. I'm sure so, they're looking at just, other places. It's just a bad sign. Yeah, I, I'm sure they're looking at other places. And one of the ideas that I heard floated, again, I know you don't listen to Levitard, but one of the ideas that was floated on there is there are some people talking about moving it to Canada because it's not as bad as Canada. Uh, you can have your... It's open for debate on the reason why it's not as bad in Canada as it is in the United States, but it's not. So there are ideas of moving the bubble to Toronto or Montreal or north of the border to play because it's safer there than it is in Florida. So I'd just be surprised with everything it's taken to get to this point. If something like that's being able to be put together quick enough to actually see it happen. I would think if we're going in that plan, we're probably going to have less than what we were talking The you know, the 22 teams and the full playoff, you know, that whole deal. Um, I, you know, I would imagine it would have to get consolidated a little bit. So, all right, let's get, let's just jump to the C block.
All right. In the C block this week, we're going to have a list of live sporting events that we have seen and kind of our top five moments. Obviously, some honorable mentions will get thrown in there. And uh, I think we can go long on this. So we have we didn't have an interview this week. I think we can we can probably go on like this for hours. I think each one of these will have a story. So, Joe, I'll lead us off here in true Ricky Henderson fashion. Mm-hmm. And start with my number five moment. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, my list is a little bit representational. Um, I only have one Virginia Tech UVA football game in my top five. I've had a lot of great moments uh, watching that series, a lot of happy moments. But nothing, I think, made me happier than in 2011, we went over to Charlottesville and UVA was playing some decent football that year, and we tailgated with the Valley Hoos, and all I heard was how UVA was going to beat Tech. Um, they were going to end the streak, which at that time was, you know, seven years or something. You know, it, it had it, it doubled since then uh, before it did fall. Uh, but, you know, UVA was playing decent football, and there was some, there was some you know, worry that UVA could come in there uh, hosting Virginia Tech and, and get something done. Virginia Tech went in there and controlled that football game from start to finish. There was never a moment of uncertainty. And the 30 to nothing final that was represented in that football game didn't even indicate how much better Virginia Tech played football that day than UVA and reminded them that the Hokies were the better program in the state at that time. And we went on to prove that for years after that. So that was my top UVA Virginia Tech football game live memory that I could come up with when I was thinking. The honorable mention that I had was in 2005 when UVA wasn't as good, but we went over there and absolutely smacked them 52 to 14. And I was sitting in the upper deck for that one. Um, And I just watched at halftime the entire stadium empty and all that was left was maroon for the second half of that 52 to 14 beat down. That was a very nice moment. Hard to compete with that. But I, I take more pride when UVA was playing some, some football and we absolutely destroyed them um, as my number five uh, favorite live moment of sports uh, game that I've been to. Okay. I've got some honorable mentions. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Three of them I can talk about later. Um, so I'll mention the one that I'm going to not talk about or I won't have a connection to later. Uh, I got to see Sharando win their, what I believe is still their only team sport state championship. Uh, oh, wow. I didn't do any high school games. I didn't do any high school games. It just wasn't in my mind. That's pretty embarrassing. Man. This is my only one. Um, but Sharando, I, I called a game in Salem, which I believe was when they were still doing classes. I think classes were were a thing during this time. I can't even remember the year, which is bad. But uh, I had done over in Salem class one and class two, and then I ran over as soon as the class two game was over because the class one game got done early. Uh, it was a slaughter rule. Class two was a slaughter rule. So I was able to get over to watch the last half of the class four state championship where Sharando ended up beating uh, Tunstall for the class four state championship in baseball. Uh, I got to uh, watch that game. That was cool for a lot of reasons. One, because I went to Strando. Two, they were playing in Radford, which is a stone's throw away from Salem. Uh, three, my brother had coached a lot of those kids when they played JV ball. And uh, 
before I had gotten to call uh, one year of baseball with some of those kids when they were young on the varsity team. So it was pretty cool to see them win that state championship. Again, I still think it's the only team state championship that Shrando's ever won. So uh, very, very cool to see that. That was an honorable mention. My number five. Yeah. Okay, you want to talk about so, high school? So uh, I want to talk forgot. about high school for a second because I could probably make a top five list of of high school football games. Playing doesn't they're all going to be Riverheads. Playing doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, my issue is uh, I guess I just separated high school because I guess I, as much as I consider myself a Hokie, I never was a part of that team. So thinking about high school, I've seen a lot of great Riverheads football games. I think I could make a top five list in in itself of those games. And it would probably rank somewhere within this list. Uh, but I guess I just excluded high school. I guess I went college up okay. um, or college age up. So, uh, yeah, no disrespect to any of the high school games. And even some, I mean, we saw some great basketball games mm-hmm. uh, together and I don't have that on this list. So yeah, I don't um, have any games I worked. Yep. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to qualify my list that I'm, I'm college up, uh, you know, 18 and up list here. So, I'm not- um, so, all right, what, I'm not 18 and up in this, but yeah, they are games I have seen <laughs> as a fans. Um, number five is going to be in 2001, uh, a pitcher by the name of Chris Keys for the Winchester Royals. I, I still to this day think it was a perfect game, but the PA announcer said it was a no hitter. So we'll go with no hitter. Uh, he threw a no hitter. It was a complete game. No hitter. Uh, and that was super cool. Uh, I think that's the only no hitter I've ever seen. So, uh, I can't think of any other ones. So that was pretty cool to see in a bit of baseball history. And it was in the Valley league and, uh, it's a great local league and I love it. So that's why it is in there at number five. Around 2010 ish, 11 ish. I saw a no hitter in Stanton. Uh, my, one of my buddies in the eighth inning kind of stood up and stretched. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to like, no, sit down. (laughs) We just didn't say anything about it. We're just, nope, you're sitting down. Like you're not leaving. Sit down. And then it, it, it came, it, it finished its way out. Well, I remember watching it. It was one of those things. It was in the seventh or eighth inning where you were, and this is Bridgeforth old scoreboard. So the new one has like hits, runs, errors. The old one did yeah. not. It was just runs, inning, ball strike out. And I remember in the seventh or eighth inning as a little kid, just kind of like looking over and being like, I don't remember them have any base runners. <laughs> My dad goes, yep. they haven't. So, <laughs> so that's kind of when it sank in like oh i'm about to see something i've never seen before so uh that was pretty cool uh i guess i'll go ahead and go number four bef- and then we'll you'll go four so my number four as a college student i got to watch uh not only one of the best women's games it's well not only the best women's game ever played at the convocation center at jmu it's probably one of the best if not the best basketball games ever played at the convocation center i think it still has the scoring record uh for teams don evans versus elena deladon at delaware that was a believe double maybe triple overtime game uh i know it went into at least one i think it two overtimes uh that was a fantastic finish i deladon hit a half court buzzer shot to send it into overtime that's why I think it's two overtimes because I think she sent into the second one. But regardless, it was two All-Americans going shot for shot, and it was super cool to watch and witness, and JMU won. So that made it even better. Always better. Uh, one of my honorable mentions, I'll just walk on the heels of your JMU. Uh, one of my honorable mentions, it's high up there. 
Uh, me and my wife were at JMU Appy State football game when JMU beat nice. them and rushed the crowd. That was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I, you know, I root for JMU every football game they play, except for when it's against Tech. And uh, the last time that happened, it didn't work out for me then either. So, but that was a fun game to be at. And the celebration afterward was fun. And I think for how worked up, it, particularly at that age, that I would get about Virginia Tech sports, I kind of went into that fully just cheering for JMU, but also probably not having the fear of losing as much either. So uh, it was a great time. Uh, so that was one of my honorable mentions. A really good time that's at a, JMU. My favorite JMU game I've ever been at. Yeah, that's a good honorable mention. I was also at that game as a – that was my freshman year of college. So that was a lot of what fun. What year was that? Fall 2007. Okay. So yeah, I was yeah. So I wasn't married yet, but yeah, that was that was a good one. All right. So my number four, I will go Valley League. And I, I mentioned the no hitter that I saw that I don't have a lot of details on, but in 2006, one of my favorite memories, and this is more of an inning than it was a, a whole game. And we went to a lot of games around that time. Um, I was back home for summers from college at that time, and we'd go to Braves games, you know, two or three nights a week. Braves had this uh, this kid, Miguel, and he every time he came in, you just didn't know what he was going to do. And in this one game in particular, he struck out the side. It was a great inning. A lot of runs were scored for him to strike out the side because he hit a lot of batters. Uh, he walked a lot of guys, but he struck out the side. He was coming with heat, and it was either good or bad, and it was either in the ear hole or in the strike zone. And so it was a crazy inning, and we just went nuts the whole inning. And it was right after a sweet Caroline played in between innings. So we were extra jacked up there at Moxie stadium. And uh, that was my favorite Valley league memory. I have plenty of great Valley league memories, but that tops it. I appreciate John Leonard to help. He helped me out get what year that was and gave me a little more detail on Miguel uh, via Twitter um, back when I was making this list. But uh, yeah, 2006 Stanton Braves game, my, my favorite uh, VBL moment in person. Yeah. Uh, what's number three on your list? Number three on my list. And now the rest of my list is going to be Virginia Tech games. Uh, I went through a time period where I didn't miss a home football game from about 02. My senior year of high school, I went to every uh, every home football game. Uh, no, I missed one because it was like a Wednesday night. They played like Marshall. But then from 03 on, every single game minus one when we played Florida State in about 07 or 08. Um, I missed that game because I was at a wedding. But every other home game I was at, so there was a lot of good moments, and that'll be my number two and number ones. But basketball, I hit a lot of games too. And the first time Virginia Tech beat Duke as part of the ACC, a 67-65 in 05. They had Duke. I believe they were number seven at that time. But Virginia Tech had been not a great basketball team for some time. Uh, not great in the Big East, and then coming in the ACC, uh, those wins were hard to come by in the ACC, but they got Duke at home on a uh, Thursday night primetime game. Duke was highly ranked, um, and Duke and they beat them. It was awesome. It was We rushed the court. Uh, I believe I jumped on top of Coleman Collins down on the court. Um, I, it was awesome. It was just the, it was the most fun basketball game I've ever been at at any level. Um, we were so excited. The student section was rocking. Of course, you know, Duke being there always motivates the student section well. But to get that win, um, and it was kind of like, all right, here we are. We're on the map. And that kind of, I think, helped propel 
Virginia Tech to be a better program in those next couple years. And that was 05 in the, in the spring of 05 was a February game. Um, but then, you know, they were better in 05, 06 and 06, 07. Like they, they were a tournament team, I think in 06, 07. So I think that confidence of that game, beating a top level team, beating Duke really propelled them. It was so great. Jamon Gordon, Zabian Dowdell, Coleman Collins, just a great group of guys. They were about the same age as me. Uh, so watching them play was always, always fun. And uh, yeah, that was my favorite basketball game in Castle. Yeah, I, I'm looking right now because I've been to one. And I want to say, just judging by looking at the schedule, I want to say it was 2010, 2011 uh, when they Might played. Might not have been at that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying the game I, yeah. I've seen Virginia yeah. Tech beat Duke. And I believe Duke was yeah. number one at the time. I can't seem to get a ranking for Duke during yeah, that game. I think but I, I remember that was that when they had the Plumleys. They had the Plumleys, Singler on the team yep. uh, and Virginia tech took him down with the likes of Eric green and Malcolm Delaney, uh, Manny Atkins. Wow. Two points or two minutes for yeah. Manny Atkins guy. I forgot about that guy. Uh, but Jeff Allen was on the team. Uh, <laughs> dual, dual sport athlete. Uh, and uh, so Virginia tech actually in recent history has had, um, Oh, I say recent history, but I guess since the turn of the century has had uh, <laughs> quite a few upsets of Duke, uh, which is yeah. great for the program. I mean, Duke takes everybody's best shot and we've been able mm-hmm. to give them our best shot a couple of times and get them. And so uh, it's always good whenever we beat them and they're I mean, whenever we beat them, it's good. Uh, ever since we went down there and they beat us, in, I think it was oh six. So I guess the game I'm talking about was before that. But the next year we went down there. It was a Dockery or someone hit that half court shot to beat us right at the end. We were going to beat Duke at Duke and they hit that half court shot. Maybe it was Duhon. I think Duhon hit it. Oh yeah. my, it just ripped our heart out. We were in the apartment. Oh my goodness. So yeah, ever, th- that's just the example I use every time of why you got to hate Duke and you got to beat them. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, my number three and I'm, I'm blanking on a year, but I want to say it was two, three years ago. It was not that long ago. Adrian Beltre's 3,000th hit. Uh, it was against the Orioles in Texas. Uh, I usually go to that series when I can because I got a, a place to stay and a good friend of mine lives there. And we were going to that series about a week out. He had kind of, we talk almost every night on the phone, and he had started saying, uh, Adrian Beltre might be going for 3,000 hits. And I was like, oh, that'd be kind of cool, I guess. And um, we get there, and it's going into the Sunday game. It's hot as blazes in Texas in July. And he's going for hit number 3,000 early in the game. He he was stuck on 2,999. He couldn't get that 3,000 the night before, so he's going into Sunday. And we had gone from, I don't want it to happen against us, to it would be kind of cool if we saw it, though. So... Yeah. Uh, going in, we were excited. Every time he came up, he got a standing ovation from the entire stadium and he gets the 3000th hit. They pause the game, honor him as they should. He has been great to that franchise. Uh, I think he also played for the Mariners and, yeah, and then he's he also, back. he's also played for the, even the Red Sox, I think. Um, but yeah, definitely he's been a big part of the Rangers organization and to watch him get 3000 hits was super cool. Again, I'm a diehard baseball fan, so uh, I've got yeah. another baseball event coming up later in my top five. So seeing history like that, seeing somebody get their three three thousandth hit, uh, is extremely special. And um, 
it's going to be, I think it's going to be a while before we get another one. I think Miguel Cabrera might be close. Albert Pujols is kind of close, but he might not get there. Yeah, it's, it's a hard feat. Um, so then what you got to do two here, don't you? Uh, yes, I do. So my number two, looking at my list is the Virginia tech game. I put in my top five. I have several others. I think my, this one, I cannot remember the year. I want to say, I want to say 95 or 96. Cause I, I believe it was the year they played Texas and beat Texas in the sugar bowl. Um, Jim Druckenmiller was the quarterback. I know that Ken Oxendine at tailback. Yeah. Ken Oxendine. I think they, I think it was Rutgers. I know I've seen them play Rutgers. I think Rutgers was the first game I ever went to at lane stadium. They played that game. Uh, my grandfather took me. I have a few memories of that, uh, but that's, that's something I look back on now, and I'm really appreciative that he took the time to do that. I've seen him play uh, Marshall. I've seen him play Miami quite a few times. In fact, I got taken to Miami games, and I think my family was told, you're bringing Joe up so we can take him to the game because I had a run of about it was definitely in the double digits of going to Virginia tech games and them winning. And not all of them were against the Rutgers or temples of the world. Uh, there were West Virginia games. There were UVA games. There were Miami games, Miami games where Miami was ranked. Uh, even when Clinton Portis was there, and I think they came in at number two and Virginia tech rocked them. Uh, I came in and watched that game. Um, so, I had become like a good luck charm where they, they had told my mom, look, I know it's a three and a half hour drive, but uh, you're going to make it because we need to win this game. So <laughs> um, I would go and I have great memories of going to those games with you know my uncles and my grandfather. Uh, the other one of the other games that's on my honorable mentions is Vic's first Real game. Quick. Okay. Your, yeah, that game was in, a, in uh, 96. 96. It was the year after they went to the Sugar Bowl because uh, okay. they played at Rutgers that season. But yeah, uh, Miller, uh threw for um, – oh, excuse me. So Drew Druckenmiller was the quarterback. I don't have individual game uh, for that game. But yeah, Ken Oxenide, Miller, 96 at home for well, Rutgers. While we're correcting, I'm also an idiot because Albert Pujols already has over 3,000 hits. So I think Miguel Cabrera is the next one. Um, but – Another Virginia Tech game that is on my honorable mention list, uh, Michael Vick's first game against JMU. I was there for that. Uh, he did the flip. Uh, yeah, I was there when the entire stadium held their breath when he did the flip. And then when he got up and Four. celebrated, we were like, whew. 47 uh, nothing. Yeah, that was a blowout. Um, JMU fans don't remember that score. But uh, <laughs> I was also not a celebratory atmosphere, but definitely a memorable one. The first game since the shooting where they played East Carolina, oh, man. Uh, that was emotional. Um, and it's definitely a, a moment and a memory that sticks with me as being there live and watching. Um, the memory I have from that game was a Virginia tech win, but was Sean Glennon in his statuesque pose in the pocket as everybody in the stadium is screaming, throw the ball. Uh, he stands there and fumbles the ball when he gets blasted from behind by a blitzing defensive end. And uh, I think I'm pretty sure that ended up being a turnover, uh, but Virginia Tech would win that game. But I do remember that. 
and the season around seven. that. Yep. And um, but the game I decided to put on here at number two, I was also at the game where Virginia Tech clinched the perfect season, regular season to go to the national championship to play Florida State when they beat Boston College in that last regular season game in Lane Stadium, and the fans tore down the goalpost and paraded it through Blacksburg. Uh, that was really cool to see, and that was a blowout of Boston College. That was kind of over. 30, 38-14. Yeah, that was over well before the fourth quarter. And, uh, again, another memory, I, re- I remember being there with uncles uh, and and my grandfather and just soaking that in and that being so cool. Uh, it's a memory I'll never forget. So jump into my number two and one will also be a pair of Virginia Tech football games. My number two, 2008, Virginia Tech beat Nebraska. Nebraska beat Virginia Tech that entire game. They, 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 ha- they had the game. My brother-in-law, who is now a listener to the podcast, took a while to get him here, but we got him here. He is a Nebraska fan. He's from Nebraska, born, uh, I believe he was born out there, but he was raised out there. So um, he was, he's from out there and then moved to Virginia Beach um, and came to Virginia, but he's a Nebraska fan, true Nebraska fan. So I I have nothing bad to talk about him and his fandom there, and I, I root for Nebraska when I can. So they beat us that entire game, and it's the fourth quarter, and I think they had the ball, and I called him, and I said, hey, we talked about where we're going to meet. He's wearing Nebraska stuff, obviously. We weren't sitting together. I said, hey, you go to where we're going to meet. Keep your mouth shut. I'm not fighting Hokie fans off of you if you start running your mouth and, and, and get in trouble. And not that the Hokie fans are quick to do that. But if, if where we're going to meet is near the student section, I said, just just stay out of the way. I'll meet you there. And I don't, I don't want to hear it from you even when I get there. So I hunt up the phone, and they we got the ball, and everything went right for Virginia Tech after that. Tyrod did it, uh, Mikey, and uh, threw the ball down the sideline. Um, and then uh, we got the touchdown. And it was unbelievable atmosphere in there. For a, for a day game in Lane Stadium, it was so loud, so crazy. It was such a big moment. Um, I was sitting in the stands with the Ball family. My wife, uh, or soon-to-be wife, we, I guess we were just engaged then, uh, she was there. And I was there with the Ball family, Ron Ball. A lot of people listening to the podcast will remember Coach Ball, uh, coached at Wilson and Draft and Fort. Such a great man. I'm pretty sure I shoved my wife out of the way to hug him. He, he was a former Virginia Tech player. He was sweet mates with Frank Beamer when he played. So, I mean, he just he's, – he's the man. He, biggest Virginia Tech fan I know. We can say we're big Virginia Tech fans, not as much as that guy. I mean, that guy, absolute hokey. And I just – hugged him we were all yelling his daughter who i'm friends with my wife all of us just celebrating going crazy it was unbelievable one of my favorite moments in that stadium and that's my number two uh my number one though is about the only thing that could top that it's virginia tech miami 03 which i assume you were at since we won that game virginia tech uh was making a run that you're hoping to make a run that year and they still i don't know we're we, we were still good at that point. Uh, we went we went and lost to Pitt the next week uh, at Pitt. I was there for that one, too. Not on my list. So we have Miami. They're ranked second or third. I can't remember. And it was just a night. It was a night game. The best atmosphere I've ever been in Lane Stadium. It was just screaming loud from start to finish. And we did nothing to keep us down the entire time, including D-Hall going to the outside, 
to try to make a tackle. And then he, no, I'm not going to tackle. I'm ripping the ball out of this guy's hands, and I'm taking it to the end zone. He ripped it out. The ball went in the air. He gets it back in his hands. He's gone to the end zone. I'm sitting in section seven on the east side of the stadium, right where that play happened, uh, sitting low. It was great seats. Saw it perfectly. He ripped the ball. He's going. I take my friend in the stands beside me. I throw him on the ground and start jumping on top of him with my feet. Not jumping like bear hug, not tackle him. I throw him on the floor and start jumping on him. It was the absolute craziest moment ever. We go on to just continue to beat, beat him down in that game. We rush the field after that game. I have a lot of friends in the drum line. All my roommates are in the drum line. So I have the wise idea. I'm going to climb the wall here and try to scale it over in front of the band behind that field goal post just so I can yell at my friends so they can we can share the moment and Dave McKee the band uh the head of the Jamie uh, of the Virginia Tech marching band he yells at me to get down <laughs> I mean it, it was like get security to get him down and all I wanted to do was screw my friends but they saw me it was awesome uh Chris Pinnell who I knew from uh playing at Lee he was near the same grade as me he was playing on the football team then and uh, I remember jumping on him out on the field after that game. Um, it was just unbelievable. One of the best games ever played in Lane Stadium. Um, it was just a huge moment for the program. Things didn't go on that season the way we wanted to, but that it couldn't have been a higher moment there in 03. Yeah. Um, man, Brock Berlin being the quarterback. I can't remember if that was one I went to or not. Um, but that was the best one. So Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, and... <laughs> It, it, it was pretty amazing uh, when you're looking at that rivalry, Virginia Tech-Miami. Just some of the games that have gone on in that series. Um, of course, I, I like to remember the Virginia Tech wins more than the losses. Um, but there there have been some sure. good Miami teams to Ar- go into Ernest, Lane Stadium. In, in, my, in my mind, Ernest Wilford never dropped that pass, you know. Yeah, there's been some good <laughs> there's been some good Miami teams to go into Lane Stadium and yep. and take a beating and lose. Yep. I, again, I've seen Clinton Portis lose in that building. I've seen Ken. I, mm, did Ken Dorsey lose in that building? Maybe he didn't. I think he did. Had to have. Uh, but we get him every other year. I mean, yeah. Uh, it does. It does feel like there's not a lot of losses in Blacksburg against Miami for Virginia Tech. Uh, but great. That's a that's a good memory. Um, definitely. My right, number, so one, number one, my number one, going back to baseball. Uh, there's been some great Orioles games that I've been to, but the ALDS win that the Orioles had in game two against the New York Yankees in 2012 with the uh, miracle 2012 team that somehow made a playoff. When I look at that roster, I can't believe that team made a playoff. Uh, I mean, it is just a who's who of role players and goofballs who had the year of their life. (laughs) Uh, So watching them beat the Yankees though, in game two, that was, I've I've touched on this before. I, on this podcast, definitely with 40 sports. I went with my buddy and his dad uh, to Baltimore to watch that game. Uh, We got tickets. We paid way more than we probably should for a baseball game, but it was the first time the Orioles had been in our play in the playoffs in not in our lifetime, but in, in a point in our lives where we could do something about it and go, uh, it had been since 1997. So. And Jeffrey Mayer. Yeah. 
<laughs> he is yeah you we have another list spoiler alert and behind the scenes we have a li- least favorite sports figures and i told leland i was like does it have to be childhood because believe it or not my hatred of people didn't really start until later in life when it comes to sports but jeffrey mayer made people the list hit. he made the list uh he is one through five um but people didn't start dying to you they, they weren't, weren't dead to you until you're an adult yeah <laughs> um but this this playoff game against the yankees it was awesome. I I had only experienced that kind of atmosphere once before in Camden Yards, and that was a few a few weeks earlier, actually, against the Yankees when we had gone to a regular season game near the end of the year where they broke Nick Marquez's hand, I believe, uh, in that game. But the Orioles had won that game, and that was loud. But just the playoff atmosphere in Camden Yards was so electric. I had a splitting headache as we walked out of Camden Yards and went down the the sidewalk toward our cars. And I could not have cared less. Uh, it was so awesome watching that game. And my buddy and I talk about that still to this day. And um, it was so much fun. Uh, the only reason the ALCS game doesn't make the list is because we lost. Um, but my brother had, was able to join us for that one. Um, but... We lost to the Royals in 2014, which sucked. Uh, But the ALDS win against the Yankees, and it was against the Yankees. And again, um, there is is no franchise more evil than the New York Yankees. They just don't exist. I'll have more to say about about that in a minute. But yeah, when beating the Yankees is always great. Yep. That's my list. All right. Let's get out of here. Let's get to the D-block. All right, time for the D block, and I have a lot of what's dominated my life. Uh, not as much what I know that you need to know, but I'll lead us off here with what's dominating my life. And I've had a theme to my what's dominating my life here for the last month, and uh, it continues here. But this one's a little different. Uh, Dear White People is a program on Netflix, and it is listed on Netflix as uh, you know in the category of um, you know inclusion and and, and understanding and everything that they're trying to do on Netflix to make it easy for people to watch programs that I've been talking about these last weeks. But this Dear White People show, it is a drama comedy, and it's not intended, I think, to educate as much as some of the other programs I've watched. But it's still entertaining, and I actually I recommend it because it is, it's fresh. It's, um, you know, it's a show. It's called Dear White People, so it's, uh, it's a lot of race-related storylines and um, a lot of the common problems that we're all aware of, whether it's new to being aware of or um, what stuff we've always known, um, but then also some aspects of that you're not as aware of and um, probably some references um, that, you know, you're not used to hearing sitcom kind of television show. It's, it's a half-an-hour comedy. I think the episodes are like 22 minutes, uh, no commercials. So um, I actually recommend it. I think it's good. There's some unevenness, and I think you can tell when different people direct different episodes. Uh, but I think overall, it's pretty, it's it's good, it's fast, it's um, smart, and in a lot of the cases, yeah, you're you're still opening your eyes up to different issues, and you're seeing um, different points of view on some of these issues that we're dealing with right now, um, or that are are in the uh, we've been dealing with for a long time, but that are in the news a lot right now. And this show wasn't made in the last three weeks. It was made over its three seasons already. So uh, I recommend it. it. It's just different, fresh 
television to watch and um you know sometimes it's hard to watch and sometimes it's you know there's funny things and it's quick and i i have enjoyed it and so uh we're in the middle of it i think we're halfway through the second season and i've enjoyed watching it so uh, i recommend it um not not for the kiddos but uh it's it's a solid show and uh i just and, and in the least it's just it's I think beneficial for people to watch because it's presenting topics that you don't see every day on television. I think that's valuable right now, even though in this sense, it's not as serious at, at, at all times. And um, also, you know, you have characters that you would think would think one way, but they don't, they're thinking the opposite way. And uh, it brings in not just black and white people, but other minorities and also um, LGBT issues and women's issues and, uh, uh, financial uh, class issues, so it's it really covers the whole deal, um, and it's good. So I I recommend it. Not as much as I recommend the stuff I've watched these last few weeks, but I still recommend it. Okay, well I'll have to add that to the list of Leland recommendations. I did get through one of them last week. Thirteenth, uh, I saw that was that was good, wasn't it? It's good. It's troubling, but it's good. Um, who 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 shouldn't watch that? I mean, like I, I don't know of of a group of people that shouldn't watch that. We Everybody should watch that to be better educated on what our world is dealing with. Yes. Um, what is dominating my life? Um, I call them emotional chips. And it's funny. You were talking about, we were talking about the Ohio Bobcats. And you were saying that you think I'm a bigger Ohio Bobcats fan than a JMU or a Virginia Tech fan because you've never heard me say anything negative about the Ohio Bobcats. <laughs> and I think I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, it probably has something to do with the fact that I like Ohio, but at the end of the day, if they win or lose, it's not going to make or break my day. So, and that's because, so in the terms of emotional chips, it's a, it's a phrase I've used since college. Um, and it's where I just kind of take take my emotional chips or the amount of energy and care I have for for sports and throw it on something. Um, usually, I can split that around, uh, but right now, there's not that many sports. In fact, there are no sports in America outside of horse racing that I would be interested in. Uh, and I forgot to watch NASCAR. the Belmont Stakes live. Well, NASCAR, but... Yeah, I yeah I haven't. This was one of the races I would have watched because it's Talladega and it was on in the middle of the day, so I couldn't watch it. Um, but anyway, in terms of it ended sports, at eight o'clock, but whatever. Well, I didn't even know there was a rain <laughs> delay. See, that shows you how much I've paid attention. I didn't even know yeah. there was a rain delay, and I could have watched it. I was also doing work for another podcast called Footy Sports. But um, <laughs> the uh, the team sports, all my emotional chips are on Liverpool. I am all in with the emotional chips on Liverpool right now. They had their first match since the pandemic started on Sunday. Uh, my brother, my dad showed up. We watched it, and it was a nil-nil draw. Everton was the better team in that match, which was really hard to take. Uh, and, and we just didn't look very good. Um, it's upsetting. Liverpool's still going to win the league. I don't worry about that. But it was just upsetting to see them not play well. And because it was all in on the emotional chips, it was a draw. So it was like splitting you would think, but it felt like I lost. It felt like I lost it. It felt like the house said, okay, you tied, but we're going to take 75% of your chips anyway, because you sat and watched 90 minutes of a scoreless draw on soccer. Also it's happy 2020. 
but and and you also talked Leland into watching it, and he actually tuned in for minute thirty to minute ninety, and yeah, I would just like you him got to, score to see some chances. Some you got to see some chances, months. yeah. Um, but <laughs> it was it was heartbreaking to watch that and and not watch Liverpool do better. Um, but yeah, I, I do. Going back to the Ohio Bobcats point, I just don't. It doesn't make or break my day. Like all my emotional chips are spent by the time I get around to the Ohio Bobcats game. I have, I have a Virginia tech game that day. I have a JMU game that day. I have a Ravens game coming up the next day. The Orioles might have a regular season game depending on when it is. So when I get, it's like, you know, a nickel's worth of emotional chips on the Ohio Bobcats. If they win awesome. If they lose. Okay. I had a roommate in college that we ended up really hating. And uh, I actually hated him before he moved in, so that didn't help anything. He His team like that was Vanderbilt. I don't know why he liked Vanderbilt. He just did. And so we – I forget which game it was, Virginia Tech. We, we went to the game, obviously, and we lost. We're on the way home, and this kid all of a sudden is like, yes, Vanderbilt won. And from that oh, moment no. on, I hate Vanderbilt. It, Vanderbilt in anything except for when they're playing UVA in baseball. I want Vanderbilt to lose nonstop, especially the football team. I was so happy when James Franklin got out of there because I thought he was a decent coach. Didn't want him at Vanderbilt, making them any better. Um, Yeah, so I I don't necessarily appreciate those kind of fandoms. I think that's why I pick on you about it. I don't don't really have one of those. I I think we talked through this when we went through the favorite team in each conference. I just, I haven't grasped that. I I think I did... Before Virginia Tech was in the ACC, I think I did a little bit more. I kind of liked South Carolina's football team. I kind of liked Maryland basketball. And then since we got in the ACC, we were kind of playing in a Power Five legitimately in all the sports. I don't. I just have never developed one of those. I hate Maryland in basketball. South Carolina is whatever. They've never really done anything. So, um, I yeah, I just don't really have that kind of team outside of I just Virginia Tech's it. That's all it's, my chips. All my emotional chips are on the Hokies. Sure. Um, it's hard for me to watch a sporting event and not pick a side when I'm watching it. Um, that's why I think that's my biggest obstacle at getting into the KBO. I don't know enough yeah. to like watch yep. a game and be like, oh, this is the team I want to win. Um, when I'm watching college football, I'll pick a side pretty quickly. Now, there, yeah. there might be something in the game, depending on the amount of emotional chips invested in the game. Um an action that could happen in the game that could make me change my mind. Maybe the refs screw somebody on a terrible call. And I'm like, you know what? I want that team to win now. Or maybe there's a player that's doing something stupid on the team that I wanted to win that I no longer am rooting for them. Um, But it's hard for me to not watch a game and and root. So, and again, the Ohio Bobcats thing, I I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast or not, but I think you have, but okay. It started when uh, 24 hours, college basketball, the Ohio Bobcats were on one day and my brother and I were watching and that stadium was packed full of crazy students for the Ohio Bobcats. And I loved, I I don't even really remember what they did to set them out or set them apart, but I was like, that's awesome. I love the Ohio Bobcats. I'm an Ohio Bobcats fan now. Um, And again, it's small emotional chips. Unlike your friend, I am never going to watch Virginia tech get creamed in a game, especially if the game has high significance and then see a, a score scroll across the bottom at Ohio wins and be like, Oh yes. Good. My day is saved. Yeah. That's it's just, again, the emotional chips that I invest are also the return I get like, yes. an Ohio yeah. win is icing on the cake. 
if everything else has gone well. If not, it's going to be like, hey, uh, we got the cupcake bottom. Do you want that? No. Who's that for? Yeah, we we were not in college. It just didn't flow well when he did that because we we were not an apartment that if if Virginia Tech lost that football game, it wasn't a good rest of the day. There was no there was really no rebounding Saturday. Like I I I mean, I might not watch college football the rest of the day. It would just ruin oh. our day. That's how invested we were. There's been a couple of those uh, recently, but um, with a certain person in charge. But um, <laughs> yeah. They're, he they're hasn't made his bad this week, so don't, you're not going to say his name this week just because he hasn't done anything terrible this week. Not yet. <laughs> Give him time. Um, oh, which I guess reminds me, a kid from Sharando committed to Virginia Tech, so good for him. Uh, I don't care. Is he signed? Well, it's part of the 2021 class that and I'm, I don't care. I'm being told. Uh, also, I'll talk about it when he signs. Also behind the scenes, just so you know, I take great delight in what I'm sure Leland hates in – I've noticed certain Twitters when a recruit decommits saying, don't tweet at recruits. And then they love as soon as something is uh, out there that a player tweets and is like committing Saturday, they'll retweet it, quote, retweet it. Uh, or when they commit, they'll quote, retweet it. And I take that and I send that to Leland and say, don't talk to recruits. I'm also taking screenshots. And the next time that I see that page post, don't tweet at recruits. I'm just going to post them and be like, don't tweet at recruits. I think that's the biggest hypocritical thing. There's one person in particular that I know Leland likes his Twitter page that drives me bananas with it. I don't necessarily like his Twitter page. Well, I don't hate every little thing he does, but also we'll talk. I don't want to talk. It's about not that guy. Here, it's but... not that guy. It's, it's All a right. fan page. It's not the graphs guy. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. I, I know who we're talking about. We'll talk okay. about later. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Don't tweet at recruits. Adults shouldn't be tweeting at recruits. Other players on our football team have a blast. Do everything you can to get these guys here. But adults, people sitting in the seats, nah, don't talk to these kids. Don't talk to these kids even after they commit. Thank just, you. Just leave them be. All right, let's get to the moment that everyone has waited so patiently for. <laughs> number 10 through number one on the Billy Joel countdown. I know it's been on everybody's mind the past few weeks. I'm sure this past week has been extremely stressful for people wondering what's going to make the top 10. We have some great songs that people are probably expecting to see on this top 10 that aren't on here, but we got some other songs that are just going to blow you away. I highly, I cannot recommend these 10 songs enough. If you only listen to 10 Billy Joel songs, let it be these 10. <laughs> Starting off at number 10, it's a song that Billy Joel won't play live because it's about Christy Brinkley and uh, she broke his heart. So uh, the song is called Christy Lee. It's a great Billy Joel song. I love it. It's upbeat, fast. Uh, the song actually is kind of sad, but it's got an upbeat tempo. So that's kind of cool. Number nine is a song called Vienna. It's a song about, you know, kind of needing to slow down in life and just take things as they come and not necessarily stress out about everything. That's a song that I could actually uh, pay more attention to and live through uh, at times, but uh, it's a, it's a great song um, and and I like it. So number eight is going to be a song that is similar to my number six, but it is a different song, but both of them are in the top 10 because it brings up the same kind of feelings and sounds kind of the same to me. It's she's always a woman. 
this is a fairly popular Billy Joel song, uh, and I highly recommend that. Number seven is going to be from the Disney Universe, Oliver and Company, Why Should I Worry? Man, I know Leland knows this one. It is a jammer, and wow, if you haven't seen Oliver and Company, you should. And definitely listen to this song. Oh, don't Leland, Leland, don't give me that face. That movie is made by Billy Joel. Now, if Billy Joel was not in the movie, would I be recommending Oliver and Company? No. But Billy Joel's in it. He's great. And this song, Why Should I Worry? Oh, wow. Amazing. We did just, we did watch that movie a couple weeks ago. It, it doesn't age well. Okay. I can't think of anything that would be bad, but it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, number six, I'll let it go. Number six, She's Got Away. Uh, She's Got Away is, one of these is on the Cold Spring Harbor album. And I think, I'm my memory is slipping. I'm getting old. Uh, I think it's She's Got Away. Number five, the opinion, in my opinion, the Billy Joel song that is most recognizable, Piano Man. Uh, it, big hit. I think it was his first big hit. Uh, so that comes in at number five for me. Number four, For the Longest Time. Great harmonies. Billy Joel sings every part in that song. Great tune that I'm sure most people have already heard, but if you haven't, definitely do. Number three is going to be the last kind of quickly paced song in the list. Uh, Number three for me is Only the Good Die Young. Fantastic song. Another really popular Billy Joel hit. Number two is going to be less popular. Uh, In fact, I'd say number one, probably less popular, but it really shouldn't be. But number two, the song is called Lullaby, also known as Goodnight My Angel. Wow, such a great tune that um, if there are ever any little Joe Dex running around. I hope to get to sing to my kids. Uh, it's just a great song. Um, I love it. Number one. Sometimes I find myself, I wake myself up in the middle of the night cradling the gourd. Sometimes. Um, great office. <laughs> great office, right, friends. Um, number one. This is the ultimate love song, in my opinion. Uh, and so it goes. Great song. Great ballad. I love it, and I cannot recommend it enough. I can't believe this song isn't more popular. I'm always offended when people do lists and it doesn't make it. Uh, it is just a fantastic song from the Stormfront album uh, in 1989, Good Year, and so it goes. Number one on the Billy Joel countdown. Well, that wow. was it. It's that been a roller entire... coaster. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster. Well, it's not been. It's not the entire. It's the top 50. Well, uh, but it's been a roller coaster. It's enough. No, it's truly not. I mean, again, about 100 of the 122, probably 110 of the 122, I would consider good songs that I will find myself singing along to. But, wow, what a ride it's been. I'm glad the listeners were able to join us on this journey. It's been a ride. All right, what I have next is more Dominate My Life, uh, and it was what I looked forward to all this week. Ken Griffey Jr., Doc on MLB Network last night, on Sunday night. Uh, It was awesome. I liked it um, basically because it just fed me the memories that I cherish. It's just, it was kind of a documentary on my baseball fandom. I was such a huge King Griffey Jr. fan. I know the Marlins were my team, but King Griffey Jr. was my player. So I liked the Mariners. Uh, They were my AL team. And, you know, I was along for the ride of them trying to get over the hump in the 90s. And they never did. And all that Griffey did, all those home runs, 600-plus home runs. I, I thought the documentary did a good job 
Um, I think it scanned past some stuff that I would have maybe spent a little more time on or signified some moments that were a little bit more. But, you know, it was cool seeing some of the stuff that I wasn't um, as aware of or hadn't seen some videos of. And that was particularly early in his career, seeing those old videos of senior and junior. I knew that, you know, it was the first father-son to go back-to-back in a game. And I knew they played the same team and all that stuff. But just some of the interviews and interaction and stuff I thought was really cool. Um, the Yankee stuff, I really wasn't as aware of. I knew there was a little bit of, you know, Griffey liked to beat the Yankees, but who doesn't? Um, but it all stemmed from a time when his dad played for the Yankees and Junior was in the dugout. And one of the team managers came down and said, hey, you got to get him out of the dugout. Uh, George doesn't like anybody in the dugout. And they're like, really? Like, it's my son. Like, what? what's the problem here? And then they said, well, look at their there. And then one of the other guys was like, hey, look at their base. And it was another guy's son taking grounders at third base. And it was just completely personal, um, aimed at Griffey Sr. and his family. So then there was like a clip inside the documentary where like they're at Yankee Stadium. I think it was the playoffs. Um, and they're like, hey, come play for the Yankees. And he's like, never. And it was just like... <laughs> I'd never seen that video, never seen that, never knew that story. I thought that was really interesting. And so uh, it was it was interesting to see his point of view. And then the other thing, hearing more conversation about why he chose to go to Cincinnati, it kind of, you know, it, it bothered me when he went. I, I loved what he had at the Mariners. I thought it was cool. It was just, you know, he his success is really what caused Safeco Field to be built and then stay in Seattle. And then all of a sudden he was out the door right when the stadium opened. And, um, you know, there's a cool factor for him to go home where his dad, you know, was known for in his career playing for Cincinnati. I just, I don't know. I still like his family was living in Florida, so it was to be closer to home, but he's still in Cincinnati. Like I just still, knowing how it turned out, knowing that the run in Cincinnati wasn't as successful as they were hoping it would be because of injuries, nothing to do with the Reds, nothing to do with family. It was just the injuries. It was, you know, years of diving for balls and sliding and going as hard as he did catching up with them. Um, I just wish he would have stayed in Seattle and I, I nothing in that documentary kind of explained it in a way where I just was like, okay, I get it now. I just thought, man, it would have been cool if he stayed in Seattle. So I liked the documentary. Um, I thought it was a good review of his career and my childhood. And uh, it was just fun to watch. And, you know, after these last two weeks having baseball documentaries, um, it was it was cool to watch. I think a common thread through both of them is fans of baseball. I think it's different for baseball fans. And you touched on this full out in the C block. People, you're, you're a fan of your team, but you're a fan of the sport. So when something big happens or a, a top-notch player is in front of you, baseball fans celebrate that. So when Griffey does a, has a big moment in an away crowd, like he would hit a 600 for, and he was playing for Cincinnati that he was in St. Louis. He got a standard ovation from St. Louis, and, and it was just – it was like it was a home game, basically. And uh, I think, you know, the Cardinals showed that. Last week for Sammy Sosa, they were like celebrating him and acknowledging him. Those those Cardinal fans are good fans. They know the game. They appreciate the game. But you get that all over the place. And that's what's cool about the sport. And that's why I think these documentaries kind of relive in the 90s can highlight that. I think that's why we care as much. I think if you started talking about the 19, uh, the mid-90s Dolphins right now or something, you know, a team that was solid with Dan Marino but didn't win a championship, you wouldn't, there wouldn't, 
be as much carry, but because baseball fans like baseball, this was a good rating for Major League Baseball Network, and, and it was a good documentary. Yeah, I didn't see the documentary. Um, it, I guess it was my way of protesting MLB Network right now. Um, well, MLB, what a, what a, not not MLB Network, but MLB. Um, but when it comes to baseball, I go to extremes. Too high or too low, there aren't any in-betweens. <laughs> Who gives and a crap? It's gone. Whether I stand or I fall, <laughs> it's all or nothing at all. Leland, I don't know why, but I go to extremes when it comes to baseball. And I guess that's the good news for baseball. I haven't gotten to the point where I'm apathetic, um, even in the negotiations that are still going on now. Um, but the players killed another vote. Uh, yeah, they did. But while we've been recording, Manfred has now instituted a 60 game season he's just pushing it forward i guess with the prorated salary uh he's pulling that card where he can just say what it is 60 game schedule beginning late july well that but Uh, that's if eight owners that's if eight owners don't kill it that's all it takes to kill this is eight mlb owners apparently he had just gotten off the phone with all the owners well if they kill it this week folks just know that next week's yeah it's over Next week's Yak yeah. Sports Podcast will be the darkest episode of the Yak Sports Podcast <laughs> that we could. And that's saying something. That we could do. <laughs> that is saying something. <laughs> what else do you have hey, on were, there, Leland? The listeners were here when we when we lost to Duke last September. They know what a dark podcast is. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention it was Father's Day was great for me. Uh, it was it was a whole day to celebrate me, so I liked it. Um, but all the dads and, you know, celebrating my dad and uh, my wife's dad and every, all the, the dads out there that mean a lot to my family. But it was a great day. My wife had a lot of good planning. I got to have a water gun fight and water balloon fight with the kids and uh, some tears, but I got over them quickly. Um, but uh, good. Some nice couple good gifts. Uh, my wife made dresses and a shirt for the kids out of my old shirts. And it, that was probably the coolest gift I've, I've gotten one of the top gifts I've ever gotten in my life. Um, I'm probably you know, skating past other great gifts, but like it was, it would, that one got a good reaction out of me. So it was a great day. Um, and so all the dads that listen, um, I hope everybody had a good father's day. I know I did. And, uh, everybody that has a dad, which, you know, it's pretty much everybody, everybody had to have a dad along the way somewhere. Uh, yeah, it was a big day and it's a, it's good to have a day to celebrate. I think I told my kids though, at some point, Hey, when you grow up and you're adults, my father's day gift is you showing up on mother's day. So that's uh, <laughs> mother's day probably still ranks higher, but it was a good day for me uh, this, this year, every year is, but uh, these last seven or eight years that we've celebrated for me, it's, it's been great. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I got to see some of those pictures on social media and that was really cool. Yeah. I've been avoiding social media touch and, uh, but we, we posted some this weekend and that, that felt good and getting the likes and the comments on that was, was good. All right. Well, that will do it for us here on the Yak Sports Podcast. Make sure you're following on Twitter at Yak Sports Pod, Facebook Yak Sports Pod, or you can email us yaksportspod at gmail.com. Comment. Tell me what you think of the top 10 Billy Joel songs after you listen to them. Are they all just the best songs that have changed your life? Or do you think I left some out of the top 10 that should have been included in the top 10? Uh, make sure you're subscribing on the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Tell your friends. Uh, again, 
we will be talking about sports as they come back. Um, it looks like maybe, maybe NHL. Uh, again, the NBA took a hit this week, but maybe NBA, maybe Major League Baseball. Uh, all that is pandemic pending, and with Major League Baseball money pending, but uh, we'll we'll be hoping. I know we have the English Premier League to look forward to. Thank goodness, uh, Leland will love that talk as it progresses. <laughs> and hopefully, you guys can just win it and get out of the way. Well, we blew our chance to clinch on Wednesday. Uh, Manchester City won today, so now that means we're gonna need. I think Saturday is the earliest we can no thursday next thursday manchester city might be the earliest so we'll see um but go liverpool you'll never walk alone and uh, make sure that you're not listening alone share it with all of your friends and family and make sure they're listening to the exports podcast until next week folks thanks for listening and have a great week you've been listening to yak sports your augusta county sports podcast